He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it has grown Sorry, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed in the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good, sorry, and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out of the separate and evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Happy to be gathered in a bigger group. Isn't that great? Versus spread in all different locations. But for those of you that, for health reasons, and, and uh, are joining us via live stream, I want to welcome you as well. Um, but for those of you that are capable and you feel like this is your church, it's important that we gather and that we're here um, together as God's people on the Lord's day. So, um, you know, let me start off by saying this. Small things can have big results. Do you know what I mean by that? Um, take a small stone, right, and throw it into a lake, and what do you see? You see ripple effects that touch and affect really everything, right? It influences and touches all of the lake. Um, take an acorn. An acorn, I, guess, I suppose, or a seed, eventually becomes what? 
Yeah, that's right. Um, in the business world, um, often we can make judgments upon the potential success of a company and how effective it might be given its size. Though I think in the world of social media, that's sort of been blown to bits. But often you think, oh, well, they're not going to succeed because they only have five people working for them. Um, we do that in sport as well, don't we? We say, oh, well, you know, we can judge how fast or how strong this individual is going to be given their size. So we, we do that. We, we look at the size of something and, and we make judgments. The parables that we're going to be looking at today are about size. But often, size doesn't equate what we think. The tiny mustard seed fills the earth. The little piece of leaven consumes the loaf of bread. Both of these parables are about small beginnings, but they have big results. Often things appear one way to our eyes, but they have larger results which we didn't see coming. So what I'd like to do for our time this morning is actually just spend time unpacking specifically these two parables of the mustard seed and the leaven. They're, because they're actually quite similar. You can, the theme that binds them together, if you could say that, uh, the, the glue that binds them together is this idea of small beginnings with a magnificent ending, small things becoming larger, okay? It's a, it's a contrast. So that said, um, let's look to the Lord in prayer and then we'll jump right into it. Father, we thank you again for how you are moving here in this church. Lord, we, we thank you for the privilege of being able to gather. Lord, we, we think of many churches that even this morning that don't have this privilege. Uh, we think of uh, Mintone Baptist Church in Victoria. Uh, thank you for Murray Campbell and the work that he is doing there. Uh, Lord, we pray that as he live streams this morning, that you would speak through him. Uh, we pray that you continue to build up Mintone Baptist Church. Thank you for the gospel work that they're doing there. Uh, Lord, we do pray now as we are gathered around your word, what a privilege this is. Uh, may we never take this for granted. Um, I, we pray that COVID would, would remind us of just the frailty of, of human life, the uncertainty of things. And Lord, uh, this is the day that you have made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it as we look to you, our Savior. So teach us now. Holy Spirit, uh, shape us, mold us. For your glory, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. So here we have another parable, right? Another parable, and yet it's, again, it's about farming, okay? So what do we have? Well, We've got this guy sowing seed again. Now, I, I don't, I'm not a farmer. Alan, you could probably help me out a lot more here about farming practices. I'm just going to pretend like I know what I'm talking about, but I, I don't. So in this story, though, it's pretty, hopefully you can pick up at least the, the plain sense of it. It's sort of right there on the surface, right? What's it saying? Well, that the kingdom starts small, but ends large. Right? The kingdom of heaven starts small, but ends large. Now, you might hear that and sort of think, okay, so what? Well, you might feel that way because 
you don't quite realize that you're actually standing 2,000 years down the track from the time that Jesus first said these words. So we hear things like mustard seed and, and we hear these words and we go, okay. And, and you hear what I said, the kingdom starts small and ends large. Yeah, yeah. All right, I get it. Not unbeknownst to you, perhaps, that the kingdom has grown significantly since Jesus first uttered these words. But just picture this for a second. How big, how big do you think the kingdom looked and say felt to Jesus and his 12 disciples standing around there. Remember Jesus is, he just went into a boat and he's giving these parables and you've got maybe 70 people, maybe 120 of, of sort of the outer circle. Not that big, right? You have to, okay, let me, let, me, let me paint this picture here. Many people have anticipated, oh, soon as we get life back to normal, right? Then, we, then Ross can go to his concerts, okay? And, you know, as soon as, oh, and what are people saying? Oh, I just can't wait. I can't wait for the vaccine. Yeah, good luck with that. But anyway, but I, I, can't, I can't wait for this or I can't wait for that so that we can get life back to how we had it, right? Is that what you hear a lot of people saying that? Yes? Okay. If you're, have a pulse that you can, and ears, that's what people are saying right now. I, I, I can't wait until I can have life how it was. And, and everyone's anticipating this, right? Oh, what's, what's, the, what's it going to be like? Oh, when we can just have it how we used to have it. And everyone's anticipating. There's this, there's this longing, this anticipation, this excitement. Now, <laughs> that's just a fraction of what every single Jew and his brother would be anticipating for this coming kingdom. Because if you're a Jew, you're longing for this Messiah to come and destroy evil, kick the Romans out of the land that God gave you and your family, and now you can live in Israel made great again, right? It's, it's good. So Jesus says, hey, kingdom of heaven, repent. Remember this, going back to Matthew, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. only like, there's a, like, there's a handful of us, like, uh, <laughs> really? How disappointing. I mean, Jesus, you know, your, you know, your, your miracles are pretty cool, you know, and your stories are nice, but 120 people, I mean, it talks about, if you have to understand, the Old Testament talks about the nation streaming in to Jerusalem, Okay, so this isn't just like Israel being great. This is the whole world coming into Jerusalem. It says that you'd grab a Jew by his cloak and say, let's go to the city. Okay, so, so everyone's anticipating this big crescendo, this big kingdom, and this Messiah figure like William Wallace or, or, or Chris Hemsworth or whoever to show up and smash the Romans. And you've got this dude telling stories on a lake with a couple of fishermen, bogans, and some dodgy tax collectors, and one zealot. What, how disappointing. 
that's the kingdom? That's what we've been waiting for? What a joke. But that's where Jesus is giving this parable. That helps you feel when he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but let me explain what it means. Let me explain what's going on here. Let me give you a bigger picture of what's happening. The kingdom of heaven, it's like a tiny, tiny little mustard seed. Look at here. Look what he says. He says, it's like a tiny mustard. Look at verse 32, Matthew 13. He says, Verse 32, he put before them another parable saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. Now notice, it is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. So now, this was, when people hear mustard seed, that's sort of just proverbial for small. You think Tassie, no offense if you're from Tasmania, and you don't think that's where all, everyone in Australia lives. No, like it, you think there's like five people that live there and you have to marry your cousin or whatever, right? Oh, I heard Haas, I hope I didn't offend somebody. <laughs> so there's like five people that, you know, that you, you, when you think Tasmania, you think small, that's the point. Must you, did I lose you or are you still with me? Okay. Five, you think small. Now, sorry if I offended anyone. I thought that was a common joke. Hey, I'm just a yank, misplaced yank. Stay with me, stay with me. Okay? So, now, when, when, when you think mustard seed, and when a Jew heard the term mustard seed, they thought small. Okay? In fact, uh, each seed was roughly one millimeter in diameter. Like so, like, and these things were so small. You ever seen like, um, they were so small, even if you had it on your hand, one of them could fall off and you wouldn't even notice. Okay, now can I ask, since I've already got some gasps, and I apologize for that, but can I ask, Jesus said, it's the smallest of all mustard seeds. Now, is Jesus entirely accurate to call it that? What if the pastor said he wasn't? Well, we would say that you're wrong. And Jesus is right. Okay. All right. But what if I told you that technically speaking, technically speaking, the orchard seed is smaller than the mustard seed? Yet Jesus claim, yet Jesus claims here that the mustard seed is the smallest. Well, maybe Jesus just doesn't know. You know. Is that what's going on? Well, maybe, maybe, you know, Jesus is just unaware of these things. Well, but I thought Jesus knew everything. So how do we solve this? Okay. In the ancient Near East, specifically in Palestine, the mustard seed was and still is the smallest of seeds. Remember, remember, where's Jesus giving this? And where? In ancient Palestine, right? And remember, Jesus is giving these words 
in space and time. Does that make sense? Real words, real place, real time, real people who, listen, who had no idea what an orchard seed was. So if Jesus said this, the kingdom of heaven is like an orchard seed. Uh, what's that? <laughs> like, you have to understand, even the most savvy, sharp, horticulturalist of the day wouldn't have like said, hold on, Jesus, let me explain here. Guys, now, when he says orchard seed, it's not actually gonna be discovered until about the 15 or 1600s. And the orchard seed, furthermore, it's actually not even gonna be discovered in this continent. So anyway, go ahead, Jesus, back to where you were saying. You, you have to understand, Jesus is speaking within an agricultural, uh, uh, botanical, if you wanna see the other word, context in which he's spot on in what he says. Does that make sense? So when he says, a man sowed the smallest seed that's ever been sown, He's absolutely correct. And listen, if you can trust him with seeds, you can trust him with eternity. I just want to add one more thing here to this. And it's the type of, it's the choice of words that he uses, right? He says, now look at this. He says, look again at verse 32. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes, notice, a tree. Now, it doesn't literally become a tree. It's still a herbal plant. Now, a massive one at that grows to nearly five meters in height, but it's, it's, not, a, it's not a tree. So, so, what's going on here? Well, you see, Jesus, He's using this type of language. It's called superlative language. It's extreme words in order to make a point. Like, he did this in the Sermon on the Mount. Do you remember? If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your left hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Right? Not literally speaking, he's trying to drive home the point. So what's the point here? Well, it's not about botanical accuracy. We already know that. It's a contrast, tiny, microscopic, to massive. You see the contrast? Tiny, insignificant, buried underneath the dirt. You can't even see it. Even if you could unearth it and put it in your palm, you could barely even see it. Tiny, to massive. The contrast is between an unusually small beginning and a large plant. That's the point. Jesus' ministry began small in the eyes of many, but from this small beginning would come the worldwide kingdom predicted in the Old Testament. You see, the kingdom starts small, but eventually stretches across the earth and into eternity. Now, remember what I just said about the disciples? Remember, the, you know, this picture here? Don't forget, in this moment in time, the disciples were expecting the kingdom to begin with a Bang, fireworks, boom of glory, right? They're waiting for all the nations to come to Christ. But what, what's happening? It doesn't seem like any, very much of that's happening. I mean, Jesus is giving, if you go back to say chapter eight and nine, Jesus is, is teaching and people come and say, Jesus, you're the Messiah, I believe it, I'll follow you anywhere. 
And Jesus says, oh, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Eh, no thanks. Oh, wait, what? I don't know what's going on here. Other people are actually opposed to Jesus. So, so it doesn't seem like people are streaming in. That's why the Lord says, don't judge things by what your eyes can see. Be patient. Keep on believing. Keep on praying. My kingdom will grow. What did Jesus said? Jesus said that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Friends, that's a word we need to hear. In fact, let's park here for two points of application because I think it's appropriate. The first is, don't be discouraged by what you see when it comes to thinking about God's kingdom growing. Don't be discouraged by what you see and then you can flip it. Don't be deceived by what you see. So don't be discouraged by what you see and don't be deceived by what you see. Um, have you ever, uh, if you've grown up in church enough, maybe you've had a missionary come and they visit the church and they talk about, you know, they went to this tribe and like the whole tribe came to Christ, right? Just, which, praise God, like that's fantastic. And then the, like the next tribe came and then like it went from like a thousand to like hundreds of thousands of people, which is great. But you might be sitting there going, gee, I can't even get my neighbors or friends to church, let alone like hundreds of thousands of people. Come on now. And, and it can be, when you look around, it can be quite discouraging and feel like nothing is happening here. I mean, latest polls say 98% of Aussies don't go to church. So we're sort of this anomaly, random little ragtag motley crew of people here on a Sunday morning, right? What's going on? Like 2% of people in church? That seems really like we're... That, that would seem like we're failing, right? What's going on here? And Christ says, I am building my church. I am building my church. Let me give you an example of this. If you go to, um, go to the book of Acts, because Paul felt discouraged. Um, so go to the right in your Bible to the book of Acts. In Acts 18, Paul's on a missionary journey. And this is fascinating because even Paul gets discouraged by what his eyes see, by what he experiences. So he goes into Corinth, and after, um, Acts 18, we'll pick up just in verse one here. It says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. I'm just reading in verse two now of Acts 18. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently came from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked uh, there for, as tent makers, right? And then verse four, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So, so there's Paul, right? I mean, you'd think, you'd think uh, what I just told you about statistics, right? So if you think 2% of people in this country, like if I had the apostle Paul, I could go anywhere on the central coast and it's on, right? Like get ready. In fact, we might as well we might as well buy five other buildings and get ready to fill them because I've got the Apostle Paul. And basically, everyone you guys know and everyone you guys work with, they're gonna come to know Jesus. I got Paul, dude who wrote Bible, right? 
And, be, and he's, and he's going he's to reason from the scriptures. I mean, the dude who wrote Bible, come on. Does it get any better than that? Maybe Jesus, right? Second to Jesus, I'd, 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 go, I'd go probably Paul, Peter, right? This, this is on. But Peter, but sorry, Paul, he's, he's totally discouraged. Totally discouraged. In fact, if you uh, drop with me to verse 9. It doesn't seem to be going very well. And look at verse 9. Paul's probably feeling like he's, he wants to give up because the Lord actually comes to him in a, in a vision, right? And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. Notice, for I have many in this city who are my people. Whoa, hold on. Did you catch that phrase? I have many, Paul, in this city. Last time I checked, Lord, I had like a, like my evangelistic crusade stunk. It's going nowhere. And, and, and what does God say to him? I have my people there. I have many in this city. The Lord has his own that he has set his covenant love on, that he will give eyes to see and ears to hear. So, he, so think about this. While it may seem discouraging when we look around and many people that aren't here in this room could give a rip about Christianity or thinking about the things of God, that does seem discouraging, but take heart The Lord has his own people that he will save here on the central coast. Our job is to be faithful to preach the gospel. But the Lord has his own here. We could never leave it up to a depraved, spiritually corpse of a person to turn We have to look to the sovereign grace of God to regenerate their heart. And the Lord says to Paul, and I would believe there's got to be some principle to that there, that, hey, there are people here on the coast right now, who knows what state they're in, by the way, right here on this day that have yet to turn to Christ, but will. God has his own people here in this country marked by name from the beginning of eternity. They are written in the book of life. Do you ever think about that? If if a name's written in the book of life, it's not like God's like, oh man, I hope I can put someone's name there, you know? Oh, I just, I hope. No, the name's there. The name's in the book of life. That towards that end, we don't be discouraged when we look around and we feel like, what's going on? What's happening with our church, man? We're, we're kind of dwindling down here. We're kind of small now, man. We're kind of just failing. You know, it's interesting. Do you, have, uh, does the name Matt Chandler ring a bell for anybody in here? Probably not. Young American dude like me who says stupid things. Um, guy like me. And he, you know, he came to Australia a few years ago and Someone asked him, they said, um, so Matt, so he, he's a successful guy, right? You know, took on a church probably this size and now it's like 12,000 people, right? You know, so big, writes books and 
but he's a good gospel guy. And, and someone said, hey, Matt, um, tell us your thoughts on Australia. He's like, well, you know, what can I say? I've only been here for like a week. I can't like tell you my, like, and, I, and Australia's massive, but I've only been to, you know, Sydney and blah, blah, blah. No, well, you know, what, what's the flavor of it? Just as an outsider. And he said, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you. It, it seems, and this was an interview, he said, it seems like, and, and this was a bit of a sting, he said, it seems like most Christians in Australia kind of feel like they've lost the battle and they're just sort of given up and they're just laying on the, or they've lost the game and they're just kind of flat out laying on the, on the sidelines. They're not actually saying, yes, God has his own in the city and that we know that he's going to save his people here. There's not a sense of urgency to see the Lord save his own here. It just feels like you guys are kind of like, yeah, we stink. We know we stink. So let's just, let's just hurry up and get this over with. And, 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 you know, he's cheeky, but, but his point was, you, uh, you know, sure, there's only 2% here that are attending church, but the Lord has his own here. And if you believe that, that wakes you up in the morning. You, you're excited about that. You want to see people saved and turn to Christ. So don't be discouraged by what you see. You know, looks can be deceiving. Don't judge a book by its cover. It might seem like, you know, it's not going well. But if we believe what Christ is saying, we know that like a mustard seed, it has a little small beginning and will continue to grow until the end. At the same time, don't be discouraged, but also, let me flip that. Don't be deceived by what you see either. Don't be deceived by what you see because we live in a society which says, typically, bigger is better, right? And so naturally, it's tempting to measure growth by numbers, by size, by outward appearances and success. Hey, God must be on the move in that place. Just look how big it is. Surely the Lord's blessing that church, otherwise it wouldn't be so large. Have you heard that before? I have. Now let me uh, add a note of clarity here. If a church is in fact preaching the gospel, and they're clear about that, and the Lord is adding souls there, praise God. There are some churches, a minority of them, but there are some churches here in this country that are doing those things. But bigger doesn't mean, I think we need to be careful, I think this parable warns us that we shouldn't equate faithfulness or being blessed or being fruitful by simply by external numbers. So be careful how you measure growth in God's kingdom. Just because someone packs out a big stadium somewhere in Texas doesn't mean they're preaching the gospel. Just because someone has a big church with cool music doesn't mean the Lord is blessing and growing his church there. Often the Lord's kingdom grows in the simple and mundane areas of life. For instance, many of you have committed to doing our Bible reading plan as Sky was just talking about. Some of you have shared with me, wow, this is probably the most Bible I've read. That's growth. You're able to know the character of God more. Uh, others of you are beginning to take your faith more seriously. S honestly, 
I have seen some of you who I was like, mm, yeah, eh, not so sure, <laughs> to be truly honest. And I'm like, praise God, this person is growing like gangbusters. That's kingdom growth. Uh, we had a wonderful time together this morning in our equip class. And you know, I can honestly, there's, there's a genuine hunger and enthusiasm to know Christ and to know about the atonement. You know, one of the things that, if you were there in the equip class, we, we, were, we were on, it was awesome, by the way. We were, we were unpacking Romans 3. It was fantastic. We're thinking about God and people and what, and I'm butchering it, right? Guys, I mean, you guys were there. Come on, <laughs> help me out, equip class. We were thinking about what the atonement is. And, and you know what, it dawned on me and if Carrie Anzio was going to embarrass her, but I don't think, oh, there she is, sorry. But, but she was like, she was jumping in. She says, it's about God's holiness. It's about this and this and this. And I was so encouraged by what so many people were saying by that. You know, when I came here two and a half years ago, seriously, and I just had basic conversations with people and I said, so, so, so tell me, what does it mean to know God? You know, how would you share your faith with the lost? And they say, well, I tell people that Jesus loves them and he has a wonderful plan for their life. That's not the gospel. Exactly, Carrie Ann. No. <laughs> exactly. And, and we were looking at that today. And, and so at the end of, if those of you were in the equip class, what if I said, well, scratch all that stuff. God, just you need to tell people God loves you and have a wonderful, God loves you has a wonderful plan for your life. You'd look at that and be like, that's not consistent with scripture, right? That's growth. That is growth. That is kingdom growth. I'm excited by that. Extremely excited by that. So, and, and that will help us when we want to engage with our friends and our family members to tell them the real gospel. So friends, I say that because don't have your eyes glazed over by impressive things on the outside or don't let your heart be discouraged when things seem small because often the kingdom works inwardly. Luke 17 Right? The Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, hey, when is Jesus, when is the kingdom of God going to come? And you know what Jesus says? The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God through Jesus now, the Messiah, through his words, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, is now sweeping in. But I like how he says there, you know, you're not going to say, oh, well, there it is. It's coming with a big bang. Not in the first advent. That's the, sec the second advent. It's going to come in a big bang. But we wouldn't have the second advent if we didn't have the first advent. The first advent, Christ comes in humility, lives a perfect life of obedience, dies in the death of sinners, raises to life, then comes back. Not to say, hey, can we try this all over again? Those of you that, you know, no, he comes back triumphantly comes back to judge the second advent but the first advent has to happen the wheat and the tares are going to grow together and at the second advent all of that will get dealt with but the king the kingdom now works within now look look here what i mean go go back to matthew real quick matthew chapter 13 he says he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven 
that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Now, well, this is a very peculiar parable. Remember, they're, they're, remember they're, they're like chomping at the bit for this kingdom and he goes, oh, I'll tell you what the kingdom's like. It's like this woman in a bake shop. And yeah, she takes some flour and she hides it in, she mixes it. That's what the kingdom's like. Oh, really? <laughs> like what, what, what's going on here? So the parable of the leaven reminds us that the gospel works from the inside out. Do you see that? It, it permeates every area of life. Listen, when the gospel gets you, it turns you inside out. It flips you inside out. I was talking with someone this week and he said to me, he was talking about a particular sin and he said, you know, when I did that sin, I didn't feel right. And I said, exactly, because the gospel is permeating your life. That's why it doesn't feel right. Even though this particular sin would have felt great on some real levels, but it didn't feel right because it's sin and you're a new creation in Christ. So when the gospel gets you, it turns you inside out. It actually wrecks you in a good way. It's interesting though, did you notice how Jesus, here's another thing I noticed this week, Jesus uses a negative image here, but puts a positive spin on it. Do you know what I mean by that? Uh, typically when you hear about leaven working through a batch of dough, you might think that's a bad thing, right? Um, as in leaven contaminates, so you need to get rid of it. I mean, isn't that what Paul's after when he says in 1 Corinthians 5? He says, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven. You hear that? Which is why some throughout church history understood this parable as a warning against the spread of evil in the church, as a prediction of corruption within the church because the word leaven's used. And Jesus says it's like leaven and it spreads. I'm not very convinced by that. For one, Jesus seems to be using an positive light, not negative. As, and this woman hiding something results in something good, not bad, right? Here, here's, let me, give you, let me give you a hot tip when you're reading the Bible for what it's worth. Um, don't take an analogy and absolutize it. Okay, so pop quiz. When you think of a lion in the Bible, who do you think of? Someone where? Not Aslan. Different book. Good book. Lion King, yeah. The old one or the new one? The new one? Yeah, we watched it yesterday. It's, it's okay. Yeah. Sorry, who? When you think of a lion in the Bible, not Lion King, it's a decent movie though. Daniel? Dan oh, Daniel and the lion's den. Okay, yeah, okay, okay, all right. And sorry, an analogy, an image of a lion, not a literal like lion, but like, uh, like in Revelation that uses this language a lot. It's like this, right? It's like this. So, so sorry, Graham, to clarify, the image of a lion represents a person. And that is, Sky said it, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus. Hence, C.S. Lewis picks up 
Aslan, okay? Represented as a lion. It's an analogy. So he's not literally a lion, but he's represented. Jesus said, I'm the door. He's not a door, <laughs> right? It's an analogy. Now, you can't take that analogy and absolutize it because guess who also is called a lion in scripture? The devil. <laughs> That's right. Watch out for the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So every time you think lion, think Jesus. Not necessarily. <laughs> the, the point there in this parable is that yeast, what does it do? It permeates, right? And what does it do? It spreads. That's what the gospel does. It's not just one part of the bread that's transformed. It's the whole, the whole loaf that's changed. When you embrace the gospel, listen, it changes your attitude, your outlook. It changes your worldview, your goals. Every area of your life is transformed. That's why Paul says, right? Be transformed in Romans 12 to the renewing of your mind. What is, what, is God, what is the true spiritual act of worship? Not conforming any longer to the pattern of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's every area of your life. So though it starts off small, it grows and it permeates. And that's why Jesus told parables. He's, he's helping those with ears to hear and eyes to see. And verse 34, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. Now that's an interesting, again, I hope this is helpful. hope I'm not just like casting, your, your, uh, casting doubt on the authenticity of the Bible. Look, I will subscribe to inerrancy, meaning the Bible's without error. I will die on that hill, okay? So just to be clear, do you guys know what I'm saying? Inerrancy, without error, the Bible's completely infallible, inerrant, 100%. Like, I'll go to the grave for that. So hopefully I won't have to, but, but all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Now, is that true? Because in Matthew 23, he's not really speaking in parables. So, well, it's a general statement again, right? Because what, what's the purpose of parables? It has a two-edged effect. It's revealing and concealing. This was to fulfill what the prophet said, right? I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Quote from a psalm there. True revelation of God is found in Christ. And that's what he's, that's what he's getting at. You know, next week, I am really thrilled uh, to look at these parables of treasure and value. Um, because, I've said this before, whenever something is of tremendous value to you, right? Whenever you cherish something because of its uniqueness or its power or its beauty, there's an inevitable longing that you draw their attention to it so they too can share your high regard for it. You see this happening with a baby, right? Oh, you guys have to see baby Eden. Because I got why? Because I love baby Eden. I want to share baby. I want to, you know, 
to show you baby Eden because I love her, right? That's how it is, those that have really embraced the kingdom. They'll sell everything they have. They'll turn their back on everything in this world because of the better value they get in knowing Christ. That's where we're headed to next week. The pearl of great price. Fantastic parables. I was hoping to hit it today. <laughs> and, and you know, I didn't because I was actually thinking, I feel like well, it would be worth camping out on these, on these two parables, on this idea of not being discouraged by what we see around us. Look, I know, and, and know this, I know some of your family members don't know Christ. Okay? We pray, as elders too, we pray for them. And people in this church pray for them. Hey, you, as a church body, guys, we, we shouldn't be discouraged. Trust that the Lord is building his church. Trust that the Lord has his own. Our job is to continue to pray. Let's continue to do that. Let's be committed to those things. Amen? You guys forgive me about the Tasmanian quote? <laughs> Please, no emails. I'm going to deal with that. Just a mixed up yank, all right? Okay. So, oh, someone just gave me a dirty look. I can't get an email, are you? Okay. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your kindness to us, and we thank you for your word. And Lord, we do pray that as it's so tempting to observe things by what our eyes can see and come to conclusions, often erroneous ones, often false, uh, because we think that, Lord, Either you're not doing anything or, or we were puffed up thinking that you're doing more than you actually are because if, if it's a if false church or whatever it might be, Lord, forgive us for the ways that we've doubted and forgive us the ways that we've been misguided in our thinking. We pray that you would remind us of these wonderful parables about small things becoming great that it's for your glory that you do this. Lord, this is a pandemic we want to see, a gospel pandemic. So Lord, would you do that here in this suburb, on the central coast and beyond? For your glory we ask in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so if you are a Christian here this morning and you are saying, look, I have embraced Jesus Christ by faith alone that I've understood the weight of my sin, that I have turned from my sin and, and have placed my faith in Jesus' finished work on my behalf, then this is actually a tangible time to remember that, to when we're gonna pass out, like you guys can go ahead and pass out the elements, to grab the cracker, to grab the juice, and they're not just random little, you know, bits and bobs. These are actually represent something. They, they represent Christ's body broken on your behalf, his blood shed on the cross for you. And so I'd encourage you to take this time and reflect upon that reality as we pass these elements out together. And again, if you're not a Christian, there is no shame in allowing those elements to go past. Please don't feel a peer pressure communion time where because everyone else around you is doing it, you're gonna kind of just dip into it. Allow those elements to go past you. But again, for those of us in Christ, let's reflect upon this, these great realities of what Jesus has done on our behalf. Amen. So I'd ask the couples to come forward at this time. And when you get 
all the pieces. Go ahead and do all the unwrappings. Hold on to them, and we'll, uh, we'll take it together as a whole church body.